Why pay more for a separate CoQ10 supplement? Enjoy twice the benefits with Superbeats Heart Choose Advanced from the number one doctor, pharmacist, and cardiologist recommended beet brand for heart health support. The new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced by Human is now infused with CoQ10. That's essentially like getting CoQ10 for free. Our powerful blend of beetroot, grapeseed extract, and CoQ10 ingredients support nitric oxide production, healthy blood pressure, healthy CoQ10 levels, and heart-healthy energy with two tasty chews a day. Plus, Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced are plant-based, so you get heart-healthy energy without stimulants. For a limited time, get a free 30-day supply of Super Beats Heart Chews on all bundles and 15% off your first order by going to RadioBeats.com and using promo code DEAL. That's RadioBeats.com, code DEAL. It's your boy DM3, and you're listening to Pandemonium with Mike Lindsley on the Buffalo Bills, exclusively on the Built to Buffalo Podcast Network. What's up, Bills Mafia? Mike Lindsley back with you. Thrilled to talk some Buffalo Bills football as we continue every day to get closer and closer to the 2022 season, that Thursday kickoff against the L.A. Rams out west. It's going to be an unbelievable game, um, and I am pumped up. I know all of you are uh, as well. Hey, make sure you follow all of our platforms on social media. Subscribe to our YouTube page. Go get us on Twitter as well. We just surpassed 10,000 followers uh, on Twitter. The Facebook page is rolling as well. Live shows, we're talking about audio, video, uh, uh, written articles, you name it, content galore covering the Buffalo Bills. A few of our guys were out at training camp as well, so make sure you subscribe, download, like, follow, share, all that stuff uh, across the social platforms. At Built in Buffalo underscore is the Twitter handle, and you'll find us on Instagram as well. Built in Buffalo Podcast Network. Really, really thrilled to be a part of this. Well, listen, nobody has covered this team more. Nobody has written more articles uh, like this guy, Chuck Pollock, uh, Olean Times-Herald columnist and Buffalo Bills writer and insider for decades upon decades. Uh, we're going to get into this year's team, the hype, uh, the expectations, all the things maybe Chuck has seen at training camp, and a heck of a lot more. Chuck Pollock, you're one of my favorites. I'm proud to call you a friend. Thanks for uh, coming on, man. How are you? Yeah, it has. And it's funny, after all this time, people are still talking about the Bills, aren't they? <laughs> they sure are, and let's, <laughs> let's get right to it. Um, man, the expectations are wild. They're sky high, the hype, sky high. Has it gotten out of control? No question. Okay. No question. I don't understand, Mike, why, and, and clearly what the, got this started was Las Vegas. Uh, way back in the winter, when they made the Bills prohibitive favorites to win not just the AFC, but also the Super Bowl, and for Josh Allen to be the landslide winner of the uh, MVP. And people have really taken to that, and and that that reputation has only 
has only grown. But I, I, I'll tell you what, Mike, I look at this team. Uh, I did a radio show last week, and the, uh, the host asked me, um, do you think we're a better team this year than last? I said, no, no, I don't. And the reason is, uh, clearly, when you lose your number one cornerback and he's still undergoing rehab for an injury that was suffered, a knee injury, suffered last Thanksgiving, that's a huge loss. But that was compounded by the fact that the other starting corner, Levi Wallace, signed with the Steelers. So now, in effect, back in the spring, you're looking at you don't have either of your starting cornerbacks. Now, supposedly, Tredavious White is going to be ready when the regular season comes out. We'll see. He's getting more and more work. But meanwhile, on the other side, they're looking for a starting corner. And Jane, Dane Jackson, who's a young guy who's played pretty well for them, he's one candidate. The other, of course, is uh, Kyrie Elam, who is their number one draft pick. But... My argument is this. If you're a defensive tackle and you blow a running play that's 20 yards, if you're a cornerback and you blow a play, it's a touchdown. So to me, there's a lot of risk going into this season with a major question at, at cornerback. So I don't, you know, I, I know people are excited and so forth, but if I was a Bills fan, and as you know, I don't have the right to be, I'm just a... I'm just a journalist who covers the team, but I would rather have them flying under the radar and and not being this this huge favorite. And I'll tell you this, Mike, last year they they had similar, although not quite as lofty predictions for themselves. But if you remember what happened, they went out in the first game at Highmark Stadium, they lost to the Steelers. So I uh, I tell people all the time last year. I predicted they were going to be 12 and five. This is when all the hype was going on and people laughed at me. They said, you're out of your mind. This team's going to go 14 and three or 13 and four. And of course they were right. I was wrong. They went 11 and six. <laughs> they finished the season 12 and seven. And it was a fine season, but you know, they let a chance to go to the AFC championship game slip away in the worst possible way. And so, you know, I, I don't see much different. I think, I think they're a 12 and five team again this year. Yeah. I think that sounds about right. I, I wouldn't actually be surprised if they won the division with the exact same record as last year, just because of all the things we just talked about. And Oh, by the way, the rest of the conference is, is, is just, it's, it's insane. I mean, you have after the division winners, you know, whoever they may be, you, you have about eight teams vying for three wild card spots. So it's just going to be absolutely insane. Um, this year, though, I think is is a big year for Sean McDermott. I, I, I love what he's done overall, the culture, the team building, the brotherhood, uh, you know, the, 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 the camaraderie, the discipline, you know, the drafting. Him and Brandon Bean are lockstep, you know, one and one and one. Um, all that's great, and he's brought him to the playoffs multiple times. They've knocked on the door of the AFC title game and or the Super Bowl, and I get all that, and I appreciate all that, but the 13 seconds thing really, really bothers me, and I think he's, I think he's become a better head coach in in-game situations and when it's really on the line and to halves, not burning timeouts as much, but that 13 seconds was inexcusable. I mean, the Chiefs had two timeouts. You have Hill, you have Kelsey, you have Mahomes, you have 
you're basically a prevent defense going out to the boundaries. I mean, you can't even find Levi Wallace. They're out to the boundaries, and so it doesn't really matter what Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde can do for you because you're in the wrong defense to begin with. There was no pressure. There was no nothing. It was just, hey, there you go. Here's the yards, and go tie the game up. Do you feel that Sean McDermott still has a major hump to get over as a head coach because of things like that? Absolutely. That is the major criticism, and it's valid. And you said that you think he's gotten better as a head coach, and maybe he has. But the problem is the lasting memory is those 13 seconds. Mm -hmm. And as you said, I, I think he's terrific as an organizer. He's terrific as a team bonder. But I, I think he's substandard as a, as a game day coach. He is a serial waster of timeouts. Yep. I mean, that's undeniable. He's made some awfully dubious decisions in games. And you don't have to forget the 13 seconds. Go back to midseason when they managed to go down and play a Jacksonville team with an incompetent coach Ugh. in Urban Meyer. And you lose 9-6 to six to the worst team in the league. To me, when that happens, that's a coaching loss. But those 13 seconds, Mike, that has become an amazing mystery to those of us who have covered the team because you do not get a straight answer. Uh, everything is couched as, well, we don't really want to talk about it and we look forward, we don't look back, and, you know, the usual blather. But there's a feeling, one, among many, that both those gaffes are on McDermott. There's a feeling, and of course, nobody will ever admit it on the record. So you get a lot of subliminal messages from team uh, teammates. And as you know, the other problem is we have such limited access to, to players anymore. Now, supposedly, once the regular season starts, we'll be able to get back in the locker room. But basically now, you get a couple of players and a coach. And that's really not the way you can develop the really profound story. But there's a feeling among some that it was him who overruled uh, Heath Farwell, the uh, special teams coach, and called for the, the deep kickoff rather than a pooch, which would have used up valuable seconds. Uh, nobody will admit that. And, of course, they immediately scapegoated him, in my mind, by firing him. And the fact that he was signed by Jacksonville basically a week after he was fired says to me, Jacksonville wasn't worried about his credentials. The other thing, and this is even more bothersome because my favorite coach on that staff is Leslie Frazier. And there's a thought that maybe because his background, McDermott's, is in defense, he, he was kind of in, in a panic. And, and there is mass agreement that it was chaos on the sideline during that, during that span. But that maybe he overruled Frazier and decided – to protect the sideline, even though the Chiefs had two timeouts and kind of leave the middle of the field open, presumably to use up time. Well, you know how they used up that time? Yeah. A long pass to Hill, long pass to uh, to Kelsey, and all of a sudden, 49 yards later, the ball slips through the uprights, game is tied, Bills don't even get a possession in overtime. That is as hurtful a loss. And I was, <laughs> I was uh, in... Uh, Nashville when uh, when the Bills lost the Music City Miracle and uh, 
that was a horrible, horrible loss. But in many ways, I almost felt that what happened last January in Kansas City was worse. I do too, and I have it as, you know, the the I, I have it right after the Super Bowls. You know, the loss is there because. Despite the Jacksonville game you noted, despite the fact that Allen slipped and, you know, Dawkins got blown up and the offensive line just kind of fell apart at the one-yard line against Tennessee, the Bills still had an opportunity to win against Kansas City and host the AFC Championship game. And many people believe, and who knows, since he could have gone in and beaten them just like they did the Chiefs or whatever, but a lot of people think that the Bills at that particular point at 13 seconds had the best roster and the best chance to win the Super Bowl. And, uh, and it's just inexcusable, Chuck. I, it really is. I mean, when, when you think about it, um, one simple basic decision, and, and I don't care if it's chaotic on the sidelines. You know what? That's what sports are. In the final seconds of close games, it's chaotic, and it's about those who make the right decisions who come out on top, and he just didn't make a right decision. And I think that the fan base, to a certain degree, is owed – some kind of an explanation here. I, I mean, I'm not even caring really about the media part, but you know what? They scream about the fan base. They scream about the loyalty. They love Bill's Mafia, blah, blah, blah. Do you think not just, and I guess it's a two-part question, do you think that the fan base deserves an explanation? Do you think fan bases overall deserve any kind of explanation from head coaches when they have a gaffe like that? They do. They do. But good luck on that. And certainly this is this is proof. And, you know, you, you, you talked about the loss at Tennessee, which was brutal because this game, you watch it wind down, you say, okay, Josh Allen's going to step into the end zone here. They win the game. But to me, I look at that Jacksonville game and say, you win that game, and guess where the Chiefs are playing last January? It's not in Kansas City. They're playing here. And all of a sudden you look entirely differently at how that game plays out if it's played here in Buffalo. And I, I, there's been so much disingenuous, disingenuousness about explaining what happened during that, during that time. And I, I just can't shake the idea that, that McDermott might have involved himself. And your point about chaos is, is a good one. Do you think the New England sideline is in chaos late in a close game. Right. I mean, I, 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 I can't even imagine that. And so, um, you know, I want them to do, to do well because, as I tell people, I'm not a fan, but people are more interested in what I write when they win. Uh, and and I, you know, when, when a game ends like that, it's just really, it's really disquieting. Yeah, I mean, you think about Bill Belichick not panicking, calling a timeout and whatever else, and – Pete Carroll decides to throw the football instead of handing it to Marshawn Lynch, and boom, the Patriots get another Super Bowl. It's like those little things, sure, you know that sure. that, that make you get to the top of the mountain. Chuck Pollock is with us, Buffalo Bills insider and writer for the Olean Times. Here, let's get to the training camp portion of the interview. Here, um, you've come out with a, a bunch of great stories, um, you know, on the team. Take my listeners here on the Built in Buffalo Podcast Network, uh, you know, through some of the things that you've done, who you've talked to, uh, some of the topics, uh, just kind of go around and give me kind of the state of the union training camp from where you sit. Well, it's, you know, as I mentioned, Mike, it's, it's our access to players is extremely limited. Um, and what, what any, everybody ends up doing is you get those two players, maybe three after a practice and an assistant coach. Uh, but you find yourself 
stockpiling those quotes because you end up using them and you can't, you know, I, I tell people all the time, you know, not every college or professional athlete is, as we call them, a great talker. And a lot of times you have a person who's not a great talker having a big role in the game, but you know you're not going to get a particularly eloquent response. So in the old days, you go over a locker and say, hey, tell me about this guy. Talk to me about what happened today. And eventually you'll get a voice that brings that story to life. We really, we really don't have that now. I, it, it's interesting to me clearly, in my mind, the, the position – Concern, as I mentioned, is cornerback. So there's been a lot of microscoping that. But I also get the idea, and you know, you kind of react to things a team does by the nature of where it's done. And the Bills, I swear, have some problems on the offensive line based on who they've based on who they've brought in, and. Um, the other day, they had a practice in which the only starter who was available was the center, Mitch Morris. Now, they've gotten everybody back. Deion Dawkins is back. Roger, Roger Saffold, who is a guard they signed from Tennessee, uh, hasn't started practicing until just about now. He's certainly not in condition yet. He suffered broken ribs in a car crash right before training camp. Um, they, they got Ryan Bates back. He had some health issues, but they, they love him and he'll be the starter at, at right guard. And finally, Spencer Brown, who had what they, of course, this always happens with pro teams. They minimize any injury and the bills are particularly secretive about injury, but Spencer Brown, the six, eight, uh, second round pick from, uh, from last year, uh, he he had a good stretch last season, had a had a, a back procedure done, and now he's finally back in the lineup. So we're kind of watching that. But they, you know, they brought in Saffold, they brought in a center, a backup center who can also play guard, and Greg Manch from the uh, the Dolphins. Uh, you just get the idea that they're not totally comfortable, and it'll be interesting to me because yeah. You know, in my in my view, and I don't think that it's I'm unique in feeling this way. Um, the Bills have a reputation for being a good drafting team since Brandon Bean got there. Mm -hmm. I I don't necessarily agree. He did one great thing in the draft, and that was taking number seventeen <laughs> on a flyer to put this guy on the field and all of a sudden the bills had their franchise quarterback and an extraordinary talent. But a lot of his draft picks have been whole hum. And for instance, a second rounder a couple of years ago, Cody Ford, I don't even know if he's going to make the make the roster, but the thing that Brandon Bean has done very well in my mind is sign veteran free agents. And those guys have filled some pretty good, some pretty good holes. Now there are some exceptions draft wise, obviously, Gabe Davis was an inspired draft pick in the fourth round. And so he's had a couple of those. Dawson Knotts, it took a while, but that third round guy turns out to be a quality tight end. But I think if you were to grade him overall, you'd say he was about average as a drafter. But as a signer of veteran talent, I think he's pretty skilled at that. Okay, you just brought up Allen. You've covered this game for a long time. You've seen... 50 years. Yeah, you've seen... <laughs> everything you've seen all the players you've seen all the positions 
can, can you compare him to anybody? I mean, I know it's easy to say no just because of the size, but you know, what about skill set and everything in between? I mean, I guess most people recently compare him to Big Ben Roethlisberger, but even there, there's some differences, right? Like, I, you can't can can you compare Allen to anybody you've seen in in your time, Chuck? No, I, I really can't. The size obviously is, is a huge factor. Anyway, um, he has a rare arm. He's had as good an arm as there's ever been in the league. And what's interesting to me was, and I covered Jim Kelly throughout his career in Buffalo. And Jim was funny when he first started. He's one of those guys who would never take the blame. Never. And it was weird that it wasn't until the bickering bills of 1989, Jim had complained because Howard Ballard, who was a six foot nine, 355 pound tackle from Alabama, absolutely beloved in the locker room, just a gentle, nice guy. And one, one game he had, he had let, let in two sacks of Kelly. And Kelly was talking about the team. He said, you know, uh, we're really in pretty good shape here. We got a weakness at one position, and I think we all know what that is. Well, that didn't sit well. And I will say, the guy who made it stick was Thurman Thomas, who was in his second year. And he called Jim out on his radio show in Rochester. And all of a sudden, Jim, all of a sudden, Jim, change that attitude and he would take the blame for things that happened by the end of his career he'd take the blame for things he didn't do and if you don't think that makes friends in the locker room well the difference is this guy josh allen walks in there he's taken the blame from day one he's taken the blame when it was clearly not his fault his leadership skills are amazing i mean he it's not a cliche he's a loved guy in that locker room one, because he's so tough. And, and that's the other thing. You know, you mentioned Roethlisberger. Roethlisberger was an imposing figure because they were very similar size. But Ben Roethlisberger did not have Josh's athleticism or speed. Right. And that's a huge, huge difference to the point where, you know, the Bills depend too much on Josh for rushing yardage. And, you know, if that's an area on offense where they come a bit short, they're just not getting out enough out of their running backs because I cringe every time I see him run because he's fearless. And he has a knack for not getting blasted <laughs> at some of his runs. But, you know, you're one mistake away from losing the guy who's the franchise. Yeah, you really are. A um, couple more for Chuck Pollock, only on Times Herald, Buffalo Bills writer and insider. G- give me a guy on each side of the ball, Chuck, who you think – is kind of flying under the radar, but could be a huge, impactful player. Well, on on offense, and he's he's not on an, under the radar because he caught four touchdown passes against the Chiefs. Hmm. But for a lot of last season, Gabriel Davis was just another guy. Yep. And then he wasn't, and I, you know, to me, I would be totally unsurprised. If Gabe catches more touchdown passes than 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 uh, Stefan, and that's nothing against Stefan, but this guy is coming along fast. He wants to be the best wide receiver in the league, and boy, he does some terrific, terrific things. On defense, it will be interesting. I I think the guy that's going to end up being watched the most is 
Von Miller from the standpoint that at age 33, does he have what he had during his heyday? Because if he does, that really changes that defense. But the guy who's going to be under the microscope the most by far is Tremaine Edwards at middle linebacker because this is a con- his contract year. He, the only criticism of him, his tackle numbers are really good, but he is not a producer of big plays. Interceptions and sacks are way, way down from what you'd expect out of that position. Now, Leslie Frazier, who's not given to hyperbole, he's of the opinion that 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 Tremaine is going to have a huge year this year and that there's not even going to be a question whether he's the Bills' middle linebacker of the future. So that will be the case. Now, of course, the other person you look on the defense is, okay, who is it who steps into that slot at cornerback opposite Tredavious White? And I don't know. I don't know right now whether that'll be Dane Jackson or, or Keir Elam, but they have a focus on them as well. So, uh, but on, on, on offense, you know, even even after what he did in the in that uh, AFC divisional playoff game, Gabe Davis, I think, is a guy who's just going to jump off the page. Yeah, I think your Edmonds description is completely and utterly accurate. Um, I mean, let's face it. I was going to call you to talk some Buffalo Bills in the coming days, and here I am going to Niagara Falls for my dear friend Bill Hoppy's wedding. You don't know who's going to be there. Um, I had an idea that there were some St. Bonnie people there, and um, lo and behold, I sit down, getting ready for the ceremony, and I look to my left, and I see J.P. Butler over my shoulder. I look to my right, and I see Mr. Chuck Pollock sitting uh, with your lovely wife, who's uh, we, we were able to sit at the table all together. And what a riot that was uh, to be able to see you and, and, and hang out and re- you know catch up a little bit and talk. Uh, I mean, I obviously felt bad for our wives at the table because all we did, you and me and JP, was talk sports. But um, it was really fun to hang out with you and uh, you know to, to, to share a lot of a lot of great uh, great things celebrating my guy Bill Hoppy, Chuck. Well, I'll tell you what I thought. I told Bill I thought it was really nice that he set up a media table for us. It yeah. doesn't happen very often. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that was really cool. Only in times, Harold Buffalo Bills insider and writer. Chuck Pollock, thank you so much, my man, and we'll talk down the line, okay? Michael, be well.